Uh, but if you were here a few weeks ago, you would have seen that I graduated from my Master of Divinity degree, uh, which is very exciting, um, and I appreciate the uh, celebration of that, even if I don't like all of the attention. Um, but I got to graduate with Rach and a few other people who are connected to our Richmond family, which made the day even more special. Uh, the ceremony was good, it wasn't too long, uh, the weather was beautiful, the sun was shining, and I felt incredibly blessed that people wanted to come along and share in the celebration with me. But my favourite part of the whole day was getting dressed up in the academic gown and hat. Now, people find it a weird thing about me, they don't think it quite fits with my personality, but I absolutely love getting dressed up for different occasions, particularly themed birthdays. So if you're going to have a themed birthday, please invite me because I just have so much fun getting dressed up. And all day I was thinking and saying to everyone who would listen that I did not want to take the gown off. I even started suggesting to some of the staff at Tabor that all of the academics should wear their gowns to work on a regular basis, uh, but no one else seemed to think that that would be a good idea, just me. But it felt special to be celebrating something that I'd worked really hard for <clears throat> and I didn't want it to end, or really I didn't want to have to give the gown that I'd hired back. But eventually I caved in and I returned my graduation gown and I went home. Later in the day, Rach sent me a message and she said, how are you feeling now that it's all over, now that the celebration's over, the study's over, how are you feeling? And without really thinking about it, I said to her, well, it was fun celebrating, but it's a little bit anticlimactic coming home to housework and to marking. It was one of those times where it was like, back to reality, yay. It was fun celebrating a big achievement, but nothing had really changed. Life still kind of ticks on, moves on. Here's the thing that I've been thinking about since then. Significant moments in life, the big things worth celebrating, are really awesome. And we should enjoy and celebrate them. There's something really special about celebrating big moments in our lives. But they're often short-lived before the reality of our daily life kicks back in. For example, the celebration of a birth of a baby doesn't stop being exciting and incredible, but for parents, it quickly becomes a daily routine of feeding and of crying, of changing nappies, of small amounts of sleep and huge piles of laundry that could last up to 30 years, depending on when your young adult children decide to leave home. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting some laughs here, so I'm wondering if anyone resonates with that. Perhaps we've got some of our young adults still living at home and parents still doing their laundry. It's possible. I miss those days. I think the point is, though, that our lives are full of ordinary, everyday kinds of activities, and in fact, most of us live most of our lives in an ordinary, even mundane kind of space where there is washing to do, there's bills to pay, there's food shopping to do. The celebrations are awesome, but they are a smaller part of our lives. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, but quick recap of where we're up to in our series. So we're in a series at the moment titled Called to Faith, the stories of God's family in Genesis, and we're exploring the stories of God calling his people and his people responding. These are stories in history, but they're also stories of people in our family tree. Stories of ordinary people with messy and complicated lives just like us. Unlike what we learn in Sunday school, these are not heroes to look up to, but people who responded to God in all sorts of different circumstances, who can challenge us to think about how we respond to God wherever we find ourselves today. So, in the unfolding drama of Genesis so far, this is where we're up to. 
Two weeks ago, Melinda told us about God entering into a covenant with Abraham. And covenant's just a fancy word for relationship. And God's covenant promise is that he will be Abraham's God. God promises to walk with Abraham and to bless him. But not only Abraham, God says that this promise is going to extend to all his descendants. And God promises Abraham as many descendants as there are stars in the sky or grains of sand in the desert. But Abraham is old and he doesn't even have one child. So perhaps God is confused. Abraham and Sarah couldn't see God coming through on the plan and so they went around God's plan and that's where Hagar comes into the story. Last week, Elliot told us about a God who sees Hagar, the outsider, the one who was unseen by everyone else. And Hagar calls God the God who sees me. It's a good message. You should go listen to it if you weren't here last week. But then finally, at age 90, Sarah becomes pregnant and gives birth to Isaac. And God's promise to Abraham begins to be fulfilled. But if you are thinking, who is Isaac? Don't worry about it. You're probably not alone. Sandwiched between a famous father, Abraham, who's often called the father of our faith, and a famous son, Jacob, whose name is later changed to Israel and becomes like the father of the nation of Israel, Isaac is regularly overlooked. All of the exciting parts in Isaac's story are actually stories of his dad or of his son. And any story we have where Isaac's name is in the title in our Bibles, he's never the focus of the story. It focuses on his dad, his son, his wife, his neighbours. Isaac is never the main character or the focal point of any story that we read. There's this pretty famous story of Isaac uh, being, as a child where God tells his dad, Abraham, to sacrifice him on an altar. A lot of people have heard that story. It's one of the more crazy ones in the Bible. But even in that story, Isaac is not the focal point. He's the one about to be sacrificed, to be killed, and he doesn't get to speak. We don't hear his perspective on what's happened. There's nothing about Isaac really in that story other than the fact that he's going to become a sacrifice. It's all about Abraham and God and Abraham's faith and God testing him. So Isaac doesn't even get a look in in his own story of death, which is pretty crazy. I think of Isaac more like an extra in a movie with a few lines that helps the story keep moving forward. Isaac was not an innovator. He was not a pioneer. He wasn't even particularly interesting. There's nothing striking or dramatic or thrilling about his life. Let me just recap a little bit of it, a little bit of what we heard. Isaac gets married. He tells a lie about his wife being his sister. He buys a field. He redigs a few wells that Abraham dug. He digs another well. He digs another well. And then he has his servants dig a few more wells. And he does an average job of looking after his family. And that's about it. That's all there is to Isaac's story. And so one word comes to mind when I think about Isaac, and that word is ordinary. He was the ordinary son of an extraordinary father, and he was the ordinary father of an extraordinary son, uh, Jacob, who we'll hear about next week. Ordinary is definitely the sense you get when you read his story. Now, there are many Bible characters who have ordinary, messy, complicated lives, but I think Isaac would be one of the top contenders for the most ordinary in the Bible. 
And I've been thinking a lot of this week about the titles that authors give to characters in their books. Like you'll often have a character who's got a name, but they also get a title. So you've got Harry Potter, the, does anyone know? The Boy Who Lived. Uh, or in the Chronicles of Narnia, you have Lucy, the, does anyone know what Lucy's title is? Lucy the Valiant, or you have Peter the Magnificent. These amazing things that describe something of a person's story, of a person's character. And I was thinking, what would happen if the Bible did the same thing for Bible characters? You would have Abraham, the father of the faith. What a cool title. Or you would have Hagar, the scene. And then you would have Isaac, the ordinary. Isaac, the ordinary. And yet, despite being ordinary, he is still called to faith and he is still called to follow. Despite being given no time in his own story and despite scholars today skipping over his story in most commentaries to talk about his father and his son, Isaac is called. He is called himself in and of his own right. He's not called just as his father's son or as his son's father. Isaac, the ordinary, was invited to be in relationship. He was invited to be in a covenant relationship with God, invited to join the family of God. Isaac doesn't do anything extraordinary with his life, particularly compared to other Bible characters, but he is just as much a part of God's story and a part of our family. So much so that twice in Genesis 6, the um, passage that Pat read for us just before, we read God promises Isaac the exact same blessing that he promises Abraham. God promises to be with Isaac and to bless him, to give him a land to call his own and descendants to fill it, with the understanding that the descendants would be a blessing or a light to the nations around them. And that's huge. This guy has done nothing remarkable with his life other than digging a few wells, and yet he's included in God's family and God's plan of restoration for the world through his people. And all throughout the Bible, God is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And over and over in the Old Testament, God will say this, I will keep the covenant that I made to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Isaac, the ordinary, gets included in the genealogy of our faith as one of the founding fathers of the family of God. Now, genealogies may seem boring to us. It's the part of the Bible that we tend to skip over and don't want to read. But they're a big deal Here's a guy who doesn't do anything spectacular with his life, who is the very definition of normal, and God chooses him to be a part of establishing his chosen people, a family of God on earth. And what this makes me remember and think about is that God's plan is bigger than ours. In the ordinariness of our everyday life, we don't always see the importance of our lives. But by following Jesus and participating in the kingdom, the ordinary things that we in the ordinary things that we do, we are participating in God's bigger story that he is crafting. This may feel ordinary, but we never know the bigger thing that God is at work doing. And if we follow him and are obedient, even in the ordinary stuff like digging wells, we get to be a part of the family and participate in bringing God's kingdom on earth, which is a pretty extraordinary thing, if you ask me. But probably the coolest thing about Isaac's story, if I can call it that, because there's not many things you can call cool about Isaac's story, is that his neighbours notice that there's something different about him. They say that God's blessing was with him. 
Even though he was a super ordinary guy, there is still something unordinary about Isaac to other people. What was unordinary was that God was with him, not that he was some extraordinary human who did amazing things. What this story makes clear is that God is present with Isaac in the past. It says, the Lord has been with you, that God is present with him now, I am with you, and in the future, I will be with you. God was with Isaac and his neighbours took notice. Even though he was super ordinary, God's presence with him made him seem unordinary to those around him. And so I wonder, have you ever felt ordinary, normal, ordinary? I think sometimes we hear ordinary with negative connotations, like it's a really bad thing. Somehow it's not good to be ordinary. Like God isn't interested in ordinary everyday things or people. And like God wouldn't call someone as ordinary as me to join his family or participate in what he's doing. We read stories of Moses and the burning bush or Paul being blinded by a light on the road to Damascus and think, God, why don't you call me like that? It would be so much more simple and clear if you did. But I wonder, what if these unreal, extraordinary stories in the Bible are not there because they are the normal, everyday experience, but because they are the exceptions to the rule? Because most of us, for most of us, being called is much more ordinary. We hear and we read stories of Moses and Paul and we expect a trumpet to play or a triumphant entry or a booming voice from heaven to come down and call us to faith. And that can happen, and I don't want to downplay the fact that God does still speak in crazy ways today. But more often than not, God surprises us by showing up in the ordinary, and I wonder if we can miss that because we don't expect to find him there. Life is not like it is in the movies with all of the boring bit cuts out, bits cut out. I don't get to wear my graduation gown every day as much as that makes me sad. There are dishes to wash, there's rubbish to take out, there's work to do, we've got to pay the bills and we've got to rest our bodies to survive. And God is present with us in those moments, calling us to follow him. Do we miss it because we're waiting for a grand announcement or a spectacular life? I was telling someone this week about how ordinary Isaac was uh, and how he didn't really do anything special with his life. And they asked, so why is his story even in the Bible? Which I think is a really good and telling question to ask. We've been so conditioned to think that ordinary things don't have a place in God's story or in God's plan. The problem with this is that we're pretty ordinary, and so we assume that if ordinary things don't have a place in God's story, that there's no way that an ordinary person like me could have a place in his story either that we are too ordinary for God to call us into his story. And I think that's one of the very reasons that Isaac's story is in the Bible. Isaac's story teaches us that God's call to faith is in and for the ordinary everyday life. This says to us that you don't have to be extraordinary to be used by God. You can be an ordinary everyday kind of person and God can use you and he can bless you and he can work through you even when it doesn't look obvious or like anything's happening, as is with Isaac's story. Yes, we're living in a different part of the story to Isaac. A lot has happened between his story and ours today. But the God who called him is the same God who calls us. When Jesus came as God in human flesh, he too called ordinary, everyday kind of people to follow him. 
and he calls us as ordinary as we are. We have a God who doesn't choose us on the basis of what we've done, whether it's good or bad. He simply calls us to follow and waits for us to respond. We are called to follow Jesus in the ordinary, everyday things of life. And as we accept the call to follow, we too are included in the family, just like Isaac. Anyone who has responded to God's call to have faith and follow him gets included in the family of God. Considering how ordinary and boring Isaac's life was, he actually gets quite a few mentions in the New Testament. And in his letter to Galatians, Paul writes this, Now you, you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. You, like Isaac, are children of the promise. Here Paul links Isaac's story and ours and says that Isaac's promise and ours is the same. And what is that promise? It's the promise of being included in the family of God, of being invited into relationship with God. And that relationship with God kind of makes us unordinary in some ways too. Even in the ordinariness of our lives and the ordinariness of the way that God meets us, the call to faith still looks radically different. Ordinary doesn't mean we look like everyone else around us. What I'm saying when I say ordinary is that our lives look ordinary compared to the crazy stories in the Bible of people parting seas and surviving heaps of snake bites and um, shipwrecks. But in our ordinary call, we are still called to overflowing generosity and hospitality of love for our neighbour and our enemies. And those things are going to look unordinary to people around us. It was God being with Isaac that made him look unordinary to his neighbours, that made his neighbours take notice. And it is God with us and working through us that makes us look unordinary to our neighbours and those around us. Our call may seem ordinary compared to Moses or to Paul, but even in ordinary life, lived faithfully to Jesus, will look unordinary to those around us. So our call to faith is not about how extraordinary a life we lead but about who we decide to follow. And so I think this passage presents us with three challenges. And so I'm going to lay them out for us, ask some questions, give us some space to think about each of them. So the first challenge is this, is learning to trust and follow in the ordinary, everyday stuff of life. We live lives more like Isaac's, pretty ordinary. And maybe it's just me that I'm talking about today, uh, but most of my life is lived in an ordinary space, And so naturally, most of my faith is worked out in the ordinary, everyday things of life. If we think that God only calls us in the big, spectacular things, then we're only going to really think about our faith in the big, spectacular things. But recognising that I live most of my life in a really ordinary, mundane, housework, go-to-work kind of space, I go, well, what does my faith look like worked out in a space like that? What does it mean to wrestle with what it looks like to live my faith out as I do my food shopping, as I go to work, as I clean the house and as I try to get to know my neighbours, all pretty ordinary things. What does it look like to follow Jesus in those spaces? I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases Romans 12.1. He puts it like this. Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. God doesn't just want the big, extraordinary moments of your life. He wants the ordinary bits too. And how often do you actually consider that God is at work and present in your everyday life, calling you to follow him? 
And how often do you miss that Jesus is calling you because you think he's not interested in ordinary things? So what does it look like for you to trust and follow Jesus in the ordinary, everyday things of life? I think the second challenge that this passage has for us is what does it look like to be called to family? Because the same promise to Isaac of inclusion in the family is then extended to us. We are part of the family of God. But what does that actually mean? We talk about family so much here at Richmond, but do we actually understand what it means to be a part of God's family? What does it mean to be called and included into the family of God? And what does it mean to be joined into this expression of God's family here at Richmond? I wonder if you can think about the everyday ordinary habits of your family, the things that you do on a regular basis with your family. I've thought of a few of the everyday ordinary habits of family, spending time together, of eating together, and of participating in each other's lives. And they might seem like fairly ordinary things, but that's what we're called to do and to be as the family of God. And so for us at Richmond, the first step in that is to gather here on a Sunday like we are today. But it's not just the gathering. Being family to one another means participating in welcoming and inviting others into our lives. It means serving food and coffee to one another. And it means working to keep the family home tidy. And we'd like to invite you to be a part of that, to join us in what it looks like to be family here on a Sunday morning or any other time that we gather throughout the week. But we also recognise that it can be hard to get to know everyone in a family this size. And so we have smaller, more intentional family groups within our big family called Gospel Groups. And it's a chance for you to be even more connected, to be more known, to be more a part of the family and to be family to others as well. Uh, And I want to say this, if you're interested in joining a Gospel Group and you're not a part of one, please talk to any of our team. I want to leave you with this question in terms of family. What does it look like for you to participate in the family of God here at Richmond? What does it look like for you? I think the third challenge in this passage is for us to live our ordinary lives faithfully following Jesus so that our neighbours notice the unordinary truth that God is with us. It's a big sentence. I'm going to say it again. The third challenge is for us to live our ordinary lives faithfully following Jesus so that our neighbours notice the unordinary truth that God is with us. No matter how ordinary your life is, Jesus' promise to those who follow him is that he will be with them. So how do you live in such a way that those around you notice that God has been with you? And how can we continue to be unordinary to culture around us So as we follow Jesus in the ordinary parts of our lives, um, we're going to spend a few moments just chatting with the people around us about those last two questions. I'm going to say them again. How do we live in such a way that those around us notice that God has been with us? And how can we continue to be unordinary to the culture around us as we follow Jesus in the ordinary parts of our lives? So we're going to spend a few moments just chatting about what it would look like for us to live our ordinary day-to-day life in such a way that people notice that God is with us. Just spend a few moments chatting and I'll bring us back together. So let me pray for us as we finish up.
King Jesus, we uh, stand in awe of you today and the fact that you would be willing to call us uh, as ordinary uh, as we are. Uh, before we did anything special or um, before we were even born, you chose us and you have called us. We're just so uh, overwhelmed by that fact and so grateful for it. Jesus, we are sorry for the times that we have missed you because we have thought that you're not interested in the parts of our lives that are ordinary and everyday. We ask that you would give us eyes to see you in those spaces, that you would uh, continue to reveal yourself to us as we go out today and as we do our housework and as we go shopping and as we spend time with our families. Uh, Would you help us to see you and also help us uh, to show you to others? We pray all of these things in your precious name. Amen.